Standing along Albert Street in Johannesburg, the curtains and sheets still hang from the building's windows, some with bloodstains painting a picture of desperate panic. 77 people lost their lives when a fire ripped through the hijacked Usindiso building in the early hours of Thursday, 31 August 2023. A building with a rich history was now the site of anguish and a symbol of the inhumane conditions scores have had to endure in Joburg's decaying buildings. A Malawian national, Waisoni Mapepa, sits on the floor with a pint of fresh milk at his feet. He winces and coughs as his brother translates his recollection of the moment he tried to escape the inferno. I tried to go out. When I broke the window, the head was already in, out, but the body he failed to go out. And after that, I come back to the room until the fire got down. Days after, she was spotted searching desperately for her brother. Sihle Dube's sister, Ethel Jack, tells us she had traced him that same night to one of the health facilities. He'd sustained injuries when he jumped from the building. At the moment, the way he told me, said he's, he can't move, his spinal cord and on the hips as well. And then his heart, I think maybe inhaling a lot of smoke. I'm so happy that he's alive, although he's in pain but what we happy for for his soul. Visiting the Helen Joseph Hospital, one of five health facilities in the province treating survivors, Health Minister Joe Paslas said most of the more than 60 patients that had been receiving treatment had sustained injuries to their limbs. Confirming the severity of the fire, he said anyone directly exposed to the blaze was among the 77 deceased. Uh, it's clear that uh, people were just trapped. Even here at Helen Joseph, and when I get the report from Chris Hanning from Charlotte, it's quite a surprising situation, which is a, a real tragedy and travesty, that there are very few of those survivors who are admitted for bans. There was a fire, but there are very few people. So anybody who got banned couldn't escape. And, and that's why you've got so many fatalities. Only those who could be able to run and get some escape already with the smoke then are those who are in intensive care uh, being cared for, for even here. The large majority are people who, because they couldn't find an escape route, have to jump from the windows. Back on Albert Street, a woman murmured that she wanted to be allowed back into the building. So as for now, I want to go and check my baby. Me, I'm fighting very much because I want to go inside. Her name is Faith, and she said she was looking for her child, who she believed was still in the building. She later shared that she was a sex worker from Zambia. Difficult for her to accept that this was the result of a community being failed by government and abused by criminals who capitalized on their vulnerability, Faith resolved this was all a curse brought about by the life of sin that was led by some who called the eight-story building home. These guys, they've died because of stealing. We don't know who caused the fire. Even me, myself, who's talking? They beat me on the head here. <laughs> I won't talk too much, but come and take your dead bodies. They are thieves in short. Me, I'm a bitch. The tragedy attracted politicians and some organizations. Most were there to offer any kind of help to the emergency officials and support to the traumatized survivors and worried relatives. Quickly. Controversial statements by the likes of Action SA's Herman Mashaba and the EFF's Ntunichwaku, among others, were made about non-profit organizations. I mean, they were the ones uh, uh, really very vocal. Every time I would in, even go to an extent of inviting them to some of the buildings where young children were being brought up in conditions uh, totally deplorable. 
but they will say no you cannot really remove this find them alternative accommodation but he says but do you expect to be human beings to live like this even the outlandish statement by social development minister Lindi Wezulu who blamed apartheid for the rot in the inner city this is the result of apartheid that kept people under such uh, conditions and we are expected to have changed those conditions within the 30 years the socio-economic rights institute or series edward molopi came out to set the record straight what we have basically opposed in times past is officials and any other private owner who comes and seeks to deprive people of their homes without properly following the process that has been uh, outlined in law but i think where we are at the moment we are seeing a case where the city has failed to act and we have a calamity such as this one a few days later a group of about 10 inner city councillors invited media to witness the uninhabitable conditions the residents of the moth transitional house building in bromfontein were subjected to ward 67 councillor david midupi read out their joint statement which called for a collaborative approach towards finding a lasting solution and an end to the blame game we need holistic appreciation of social order rather than a partisan one there is an asymmetric approach towards an interpretation and application of the law and that has borne bitter results of social disorder but this must be clear that we are in no way in defense of the officials for some of the city decays is in result of their negligence such as the property behind us whereby the people were put in 2009 147 persons including children these people were supposed to be in this property for a period of 12 months in 2009 until to date they are still here and the conditions here are unsanitary we challenge seri legal resource center human rights commissions judiciary big businesses and the likewise organizations to have a walk about with us in the inner city so that we can show them the conditions our people still are subjected to post that we will have formal discussions with them in mapping out solutions sadly The refusal by some survivors of the blaze to agree to be accommodated at the earmarked temporary shelters switched the focus back on undocumented foreign nationals who many accused of refusing this assistance because they feared deportation. They aren't entirely wrong, but being undocumented is not only a foreign person's problem. Some South Africans are among those without papers as project manager for Action Support Centers Chipo Marunda explains We can all agree but at the end of the day we have a problem of individuals that are not documented I think it's also important to highlight that even South Africans themselves sometimes they find themselves without documentation because maybe a, a parent died and now the child cannot uh, access uh, documentation and then they also have child and then it becomes a cycle and then at the end of the day a person is a South African but then that cannot be proven and therefore they are undocumented you know so that has generally been the sentiment and what we usually obtain from these guys all of them top to bottom not only these guys that have faced this strategy but also in our other interventions when we are working with migrant communities 
they would love to have documentation. We constantly conduct interventions where they get some material support here and there. They get empowered for some short courses, etc. But if there's one thing, you know, that they say, you know what, I can forgo all of these things. If I can just have a document that can assure that myself, my my child can actually get into school, be able to finish my trick, you know, all of those because at the end, it starts with having a document, right? If I can have that, we indicate to them, okay, yeah, the processes that you followed to obtain that, they say, well, yeah, they are taken from pillar to post and, what you know, it's, it's yeah, this entire system is, um, I can't even begin to... to to describe it. He adds that there's reason for the mistrust. The experience as an organization working with displaced persons had often shown that what was intended to be a temporary situation that was meant to last a few days or even a few weeks often extended to months and maybe even years, as in the case of about 150 Mamilodi flood victims who stayed in a hole for months on end. Yes, there is definitely a need to invest more in, in longer-term shelters for individuals that find themselves in situations like this. And I think there is the infrastructure for that that is there is very limited. And I think as an organization, we can only speak to what we have actually seen, but then it would make sense to also come to those conclusions to say, obviously, longer term, we're going to see these cycles happening. Because like I said, if someone is going to be in a situation where they are placed in what was called a temporary situation, but then it takes three years, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symptom or it's a manifestation of that uh, particular state of affairs. Some from the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu-Natal had come to the city of gold to seek opportunities they would otherwise not find in their home provinces. For them, going back home is not an option. The South African government, non-profit organizations and the embassies of the affected countries were working together to address the pushback by displaced persons. Meanwhile, according to Joburg Mayor Kabelo Kwamanda, the city's group forensics and investigation services was investigating nearly 200 cases of hijacked buildings. As part of the investigations currently underway, I have learned that the city's group forensic and investigation services department is investigating 188 active cases of hijacked buildings. Of those, Madam Speaker, 167 cases are privately owned properties, 13 are city-owned properties, and five owned by other spheres of government. The building in Albert Street is indeed a city-owned building. But Angela Rivers from the Property Management Association said she believes Guamanda's numbers are way off the mark. There's close to between three and 500 hijacked buildings in the inner city. And that you can just, by driving around, you can pick up every block that isn't in an improvement district has a couple of hijacked buildings. Um, the list that Jepoma has which I've collected over the years from our members, has 57 buildings on the list. And out of those 57, 28 belong to the city of Johannesburg. Rivers acknowledged government alone would not be able to solve Joburg's housing crisis. Look, the main thing that needs to be done is the city needs to work with the private sector. The JPOMA members alone are responsible for 70,000 affordable housing units in the city alone. Just that. So we have over 350 residents, 350,000 residents in the inner city. So we've, we've been doing it for a long time. We know how to do it. We know how to do it successfully. There's lots of great models with communal bathrooms um, and, you know, shared ablutions. There's, there's lots of different ways to 
keep the cost down, to keep the, the rental down. It's a flow. So you find two buildings that are empty, you refurbish them, they become your temporary emergency housing. Then you can empty two more buildings and you've got two more buildings to fix. We cannot expect council to solve the housing problem on their own. They need to work with the private sector to get it done properly, effectively, and then once it's done, manage the properties properly. It all comes down to management. Visiting Marshall Town following the fire, President Sol Ramaphosa described the disaster as a wake-up call that was a reminder that government needs to hastily address the housing crisis. While Guamanda conceded, the tragedy revealed how city officials from the Joburg Property Company and the Johannesburg Social Housing Company had left its buildings to ruin and in the hands of unscrupulous criminals. Guamanda threatened consequences for those found to be sleeping on the job, while Gauteng Premier Banyaza Sufi established a commission of inquiry into the deadly fire. City officials have been the subject of headlines across media, with elaborate clampdown operations taking place almost daily. The National Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, on the other hand, said it would embark on an operation to reclaim over 1,200 hijacked buildings that belong to the state. But the rot that President Sol Ramaphosa was rudely awoken to did not happen overnight. Councillors, businesses, organisations and even ordinary citizens have said their pleas to prevent such a catastrophe had fallen on deaf ears for years. Is the sudden drive to clean up the city and other parts of the province or even the country merely electioneering on the part of politicians ahead of what promises to be a historical general election next year? The people are suffering and their deliverance from poverty, indignity, desperation cannot wait for yet another election cycle to pass.